0: This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi Fi again when you can have a brilliant, hyper fast, super simple Wi Fi system with Eero. And now the second generation Eero is tri band and twice as fast as its predecessor. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com and at checkout select overnight shipping and then just enter the promo code FOOL. It's Wednesday, July 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. What a day we've got. This whole week, Earnings Palooza all week, and we've got far more companies reporting this morning than we can actually talk to, but we'll hit as many as we can. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to dig into Coca-Cola, Hershey. Uh, when, so, We get this question from time to time, how do you pick the stories that you're going to talk about on market foolery. And it usually starts with my sending an email or a message on Slack to whoever's going to be on the show that day with sort of a menu of options and just saying, here are all the companies that we could talk about. Here are the ones making headlines. Here are ones that I think we should talk about. Which ones are you interested in talking about? And when I sent you the list, your reaction was essentially, wow, this is like the all American earnings list. This is like a, a an earning a day of earnings that de, um, the late great writer David Halberstam would have appreciated.
1: Well, there were two things. One was just everything had beaten earnings. All the all the headline reports, and of course, uh, we were working off of an, an aggregation of the early morning news, and so it didn't have everything. But it was the biggest companies, the sort of S and P five hundred type companies, who had reported, and everybody had. Beaten earnings, a number of companies by a significant amount, and a few, maybe two, had just matched earnings. And nobody, nobody had had missed earnings, which is fairly unusual uh, to get that much positive, uh, you know, reports in in one day, uh, all and and not just one sector, but everything. And and a lot of the names, as we'll get to, were sort of core nineteen fifty You can go back to the nineteen fifties rather than this was uh, you know new internet names. These are some of the biggest names of the last 50, 60 years in American uh, economic life.
0: Although as we will discuss, just because they're beating earnings expectations doesn't mean the stocks are all going up, but we'll start with one that is and that's Boeing. Second quarter profits blew way past expectations. They also raised guidance and Boeing, which is one of 30 stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, is essentially, it is single-handedly keeping the Dow in positive territory, because shares of Boeing are up 8%. That, I don't remember the last time Boeing had that kind of a move. No,
1: it's unusual. And one of the reasons why it translates to such a big move in the Dow is that the Dow is, bizarrely, a price-weighted index. So, the bigger priced stocks move the index more. So, those that haven't split their shares for a long time, which would be the case with Boeing, which is now trading for upwards of $200 a share, and and even more than that today. That's a bigger move just because of a quirk in the accounting of the Dow. But 8% for a company that is nearing $100 billion in market cap is a pretty significant move no matter how you measure it. And
0: when you look at Boeing, I mean, They're in the business of making planes. Yes, they have competition, but it is such a capital-intensive business that I think at least one of the bull cases for investing in a company like Boeing is the barrier to entry when you're making airplanes for a living is massive.
1: Right, it's it's more or less Airbus is the the, the competition for what uh, Boeing is doing on the commercial side, and uh, Boeing is getting the better uh, of that competition at the moment. Uh, they've got a, a bigger backlog; they're getting more of the orders for uh, for their wide body planes, and Airbus is is not firing on all cylinders uh, at the moment. So this comes and goes at the moment uh, Advantage Boeing. um, They've got a backlog of almost 6,000 commercial aircraft, so that provides greater visibility for future earnings than lots and lots of other companies. Uh, Additionally, Defense looks like it's going to be
0: picking up for them. So, in terms of the backlog that you mentioned, is that is that something that even with the price move today, you can look at how many planes they have on order and just say, you know what, they're not. The foreseeable future looks really good for them.
1: Well, so despite the fact that they they beat on the net income line by a lot, the earnings, sorry, the sales came in right about where where they were expected, twenty two point seven billion for the quarter. So. The visibility is provided by the backlog and, and company guidance, and they've, they've now guided higher for the rest of the year on, uh, you know, on the earnings side. And where they surprised was how much money they made uh, it, out of these sales. So, the margins improved, and they, they improved their tax rate, uh, and, and that was a, a part of it in terms of uh, the bottom line. Still, they get to hold on to that money if they're not paying it in taxes. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, they for the quarter, (laughs) for the quarter, and that was the story in some of the other earnings reports uh, today as well. More of a margin beat and more of a bottom line. um, In some cases, tax-driven beat based on you know just some some of the financial engineering. And I don't say that as a negative thing. Um, There are times when you don't pay taxes Uh, as a as a function of where a lot of companies are right now, they are and individuals are delaying paying taxes now, if possible, because there's the possibility that taxes are going to be lower in the future. So, uh, you might choose to make certain taxable events occur later. Uh, And and that's uh, something that not only Boeing, but other companies are, are doing at the moment.
0: All right. Let's get to some of the other companies reporting. Um, As you indicated, names that are straight out of the nineteen fifties here in America: Ford Motor, AT and T, U.S. Steel, Coca Cola, Hershey, all reporting. uh, All, as you said, all doing as good, if not better, than expected. Although, in terms of the stock performance, AT&T and U.S. Steel are are really the big movers today. I didn't realize because we we rarely have ever talked about U.S. Steel. The only time I talk about U.S. Steel is if I'm watching The Godfather Part Two, you know, where Hyman Roth has the the classic line, "Michael, we're bigger than U.S. Steel."
1: Another good line from U.S. Steel is there is a book about um, about the Yankees, uh, covering I think, the 19. 19- really, the 50s and 60s, in particular early 60s, and, and the subtitle of it was when, when rooting for the Yankees was like rooting for U.S. Steel. Right, And I know that's painful for you as a Red Sox fan, which is why I bring
0: it up. That's, that's okay. I, I wasn't around in the 1950s or early 1960s. Wow, so, would you have suffered if you well, had been. I really would have. Um, although, U.S. as I was going to say, U.S. Steel, really cool ticker symbol. It's just X. I like that, Uh, but again, U.S. Steel, AT and T, those are the sort of the big movers. But um, when you look at sort of this basket of Americana type stocks, does anything leap out at you?
1: Yeah, it's a victory lap for America. Uh, I I think that (laughs) it's not not to you know get to 1980s U.S. Olympic you know cheering, but uh, it what I look at is I see again the bottom line being a bigger Uh, outperformer than the top line for a lot of these things. U.S. Steel uh, more than tripled what uh, the profits were expected to be, uh, seven a share against $0.34 expected. That wasn't a function of tripling what the expected sales were going to be. This is better margins, and uh, that's a story for some of the other companies in there as well. And I, I just think there's a breadth to the success of businesses at the moment, which is what is supporting the stock market as a whole right now. You know, you've know, you got the stock market at all-time highs, how, how much should you be worried about that? Well, this quarter is going to set the record for earnings, uh, both operating earnings, which kind of ignores all the bad stuff, all the one-time charges that go into uh, gap-reported earnings. But gap earnings are also going to be setting a record this quarter, and the projections for next quarter are not not coming down. So, earnings, which ultimately is is what you get from owning stock, uh, is uh, looking very good. The concern, in part, is that this is being driven by superior margins, and how sustainable are margins at or above 10% um, well, they've been pretty sustainable over the last ten years, but for uh, in the nine nine percent uh, to nine and a half percent range, but for the the Great Recession. So there's there's reason to think that uh, the longer term uh, of of six or seven percent average for operating earnings is something to remember and to wonder why. Uh, uh, why earnings? Sorry, why why companies are capturing as much uh, of the income from their sales as they are? One thing is they're not distributing it to employees at the same rate, and uh, you know how sustainable is that? We see you know the effects of that in our politics. But at the moment, uh, it is a good quarter for classic American companies.
0: I'm a little surprised by the, the combination of U.S. Steel's results and caterpillar's results which were earlier in the week in part because you think back to January when president trump took office and the, the new congress took office there was a lot of expectation that one of the first big things right out of the gate was going to be some sort of infrastructure bill and that has not materialized and so the 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 results that they're putting up minus you know the the quarters that we're seeing out of Caterpillar and U.S. Steel, they would make more sense to me if, in fact, there had been some massive infrastructure spending bill that had been passed back in January or February, something like that.
1: Well, okay, I think that's that's fair to ask what's going on there. And U.S. Steel would love it uh, if there were significant infrastructure uh, commitment um, or you know something that went beyond words from the administration, some real dollars. They were committed, uh, but they're in sort of all parts of, of the economy. Uh, you know, commercial construction. You don't necessarily need government-supported uh, projects to achieve the results they've just had. Cars, of course, uh, it would be great for them. You know, if every every bridge that needed to be replaced uh, started doing that, and I think part of uh, The hope for the company is, uh, from the the bulls is that various of the proposals that it will be U.S. not necessarily the company U.S. steel, but United States-produced steel is going to be going into any infrastructure
0: bill. Uh, We'll see what happens with that, but that's that's part of the bull case as well. All right. Before we get to our next story, I want to say thanks to Eero for supporting this episode of Market for Lurie. Eero, that's E-E-R-O. Never think about home Wi-Fi again. They just introduced the second-generation Eero and Eero Beacon. They started in early 2016, and since then, they've learned from hundreds of thousands of systems, making them smarter, faster, and more reliable. The new second-generation Eero and Eero Beacon allow you to build a Wi-Fi system that's more perfectly tailored to your home than ever before. More speed and range in the same high-quality, elegant design that people have come to expect. And with the addition of the new Thread Radio, Eero can connect to low-power devices such as locks, doorbells, other sensors, and more. You can expand your coverage in any room. It's really easy with the Eero Beacon. Simply plug it into a wall and you're covered. You can add as many beacons as you want. If there's an outlet, you can get Wi-Fi. Our man behind the glass, producer Dan Boyd. He's got the Aero system going on in his home. How's that working out, DC?
1: Uh It's working out great, man. It's uh, way better than my old one.
0: Nice. We love that. Also, and Dan mentioned this the other day, really sleek design, which is kind of an icing on the cake thing. Look, when you're talking about home Wi-Fi, you just want it to work, you want it to work fast, you don't want dead spots, but if you can get a nice design on top of that, that's good. Yeah, I don't really care about the way really anything looks in my apartment, but my girlfriend does. <laughs> So, it was a big plus that she uh, liked them, too. Nice. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com and at checkout select Overnight Shipping and then just enter the promo code FOOL to make it free. Chipotle's second quarter results came out last night. Uh, They were obviously not taking into account uh, the recent norovirus outbreak at the location in Virginia. and. You know the numbers were fine. I, as a shareholder of Chipotle, I went into this quarter, uh, sort of bracing myself for a slashing of guidance. That did not happen. I was also crossing my fingers, hoping that management and, in particular, CEO Stephen Ells was going to be saying all the right things, and I can't say I'm I'm thrilled with uh, what he had to say on the conference call. It, it, in a nutshell, it seems like there is still a decent amount of denial going on, or if not denial, defensiveness on the part of Stephen Ells and his management team. because. They keep talking about the health protocols that they have in place, and it's like we've got this. We're the only major restaurant that has this particular type of safety protocol, and I just kind of want to scream, "Shut up!" <laughs> like, don't tell me how great your health protocols are when you're when over a hundred people are reportedly getting sick, and you have to shut down the store. All right. Well,
1: what would you have preferred? Because it, the question is going to get asked on on the call, and if they don't address it. Uh, First, then it looks like they're hiding. So your preference would be what? I think they, that... they say nothing about it in the in the presentation, and then uh,
0: the the question comes: like, people are getting sick again. What's up with that? Here, here's what I would have preferred. Um, I would have preferred, uh, and we talk about emotion in investing, and books have been written about Warren Buffett and sort of taking the emotion out of investing, and all of that makes perfect sense to me. Every once in a while, when something is going wrong, and in the case of Chipotle, we're talking about something that has gone wrong more than once, um, what I want to see is anger. Frankly, I want—I—I—I I, I would have been perfectly happy if Stephen Ells had addressed the health issues with a level of anger in his voice and um, sort of drawing lines in the sand and saying, you know what, this isn't acceptable. We blew it again. And Heads are gonna roll if, you know, X, Y, and Z. I I I don't know. I just he's his his own head. What's that? His own head. You know what? If I'm on the board of directors, I'm seriously considering that he's the founder CEO. He is the visionary, and I know he's not necessarily the operational guy. That's fine. Get someone in there in there who is the operational guy or gal. Uh, You see these reports where Chipotle is saying, "Okay, we figured out what the problem is, and it has to do with." essentially um, our management at the local level. So, In the case of Chipotle, they're saying, look, it's not a problem with our food supply. This was an isolated incident at one location. Okay, fine. What was the problem at that one location? Well, management wasn't really uh, upholding the safety standards and the health standards that we have put in place. And as a shareholder, and as someone who's watched this company for a long time, my question to that would be, how is that possible? Since one of the things I hear and have heard for years about Chipotle, in reference to why they don't roll out more locations more quickly, they've got this concept that people like, how come they're not opening more locations more quickly? And the response is always, well, they really take their time picking the location, Training the staff. They got to get everybody on board. And it makes it sound like it's, you know, the greatest staff in the world, the best trained staff in the world. You know, we talked the other day about McDonald's. You know what McDonald's doesn't have? They don't have these types of problems with their food supply.
1: No. Well, so, but everybody does at some point. And then I think one of the problems for Chipotle is that when a perfectly commonplace thing happens, it's a national story. Last year, uh, I was on the road. I was in uh, Indianapolis and I had one day outside of Indianapolis and went to a local restaurant and I got sick the next day. And I, I went on to Yelp or something and, and found that two other people had gotten sick at this restaurant same day. But it's not a national story. Uh, that, that's three people that I know of and presumably, the, presumably, it was a one time thing. That happens in restaurants, and Chipotle, unfortunately, for itself, is in a position where the thing which happens, probably, you know, somewhere in the country, I don't know, I don't know. CDC's got records on this uh, norovirus outbreaks, uh, you know, in restaurants. Uh, It's a national story every single time it happens, and it's happening. Okay, so you've got your conspiracy theorists out there who are mm-hmm. measuring how often it is happening in Chipotle compared to how often you would expect to see it in a restaurant uh, chain of this size and all that, and it's 4x, you know the E. coli is one thing. Norovirus is another. Uh, that the norovirus is, is showing up. Often enough, so that those who are prone to looking for conspiracies or are mad that they are losing money in this investment and therefore want to blame something other than bad luck or paying too much for an investment or any number of other things that you could attribute this to are looking for conspiracies. I I think you know sometimes bad luck does accumulate at a certain place, and really, I mean, Chipotle is running out of the number of times where you can hold that theory in your mind without dismissing it as, no, 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 it's Chipotle.
0: Right. Right. And that's one more thing, I think, on the communications side of things that Chipotle is continues to get wrong. Again, this defensiveness where they're saying, you know, one of the things you talked about on the call is this uh, executive director of food safety that they've hired, uh, uh, James Madsen, um, who, who put in place... Uh, and I'll just read from this, uh, this news article. Uh, Madsen introduced um, Chipotle to the concept of HACCP, Hazard Analysis and Critical Control Points. And again, Ells, during the conference call, we're the only major restaurant to have HACCP. It's like I, it's not a great endorsement. Is uh, it? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs>
1: I'm not sure everybody else is lining up. Yeah, to, it doesn't appear to be working to buy shares of HACCP.
0: Well, and to to go back to the communications, piece can we piece, get a better acronym there too? They really do need one. Yeah, um, but to go back to the communications piece, someone close to Ells needs to make it very clear to him that fairly or unfairly, we're going to get tagged with this for the next. Eh, I'm going to say minimum three years. Any in the in a way that McDonald's, any other fast food chain, any other fast casual chain, is not going to get tagged. You know, as you said, the the restaurant you ate at in Indiana—that's not a national story. Chipotle is on the clock, and and maybe it's not fair, but that's the way it is, and so they need to react accordingly. And continuing to talk about how great their safety protocols are doesn't fill me with confidence. What about all the people that went there and didn't get sick last quarter?
1: There were hundreds, possibly thousands of people that didn't get sick last quarter. Possibly. We'll never know.
0: That would be great. If, you know, if 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 L's just decided to be completely tone deaf and just play up. How many people, <laughs> it's like we're estimating how many people uh, and, and sure you can focus on the 135 reported people in Virginia who got sick. But we've ballpark we've got 99.98% of our customers not getting sick. We're going to focus on the positive. <laughs>
1: Uh, so if we're griping about Chipotle, the other thing that we were talking about is where's the breakfast. Where is the breakfast? Where's the breakfast?
0: I don't know, because because that's another question that has come up before. Again, McDonald's seemed uh, to figure out a way to make not just breakfast, but breakfast all day. And I guess uh, your colleague Charlie Travers pointed out that what has been the explanation in the past from the company is, well, we can't offer breakfast burritos and breakfast tacos and that sort of thing, because it would disrupt the food chain, or not the food chain, but the food prep system that we have in place for the lunchtime crowd and all that sort of thing. And your response was? My response is, I'm happy to eat what they serve for lunch for breakfast anyway. (laughs) Uh,
1: But also, this is a problem that everybody else has figured out.
0: Yeah. yeah. I don't know why, somehow, Chipotle can't figure this out. Or, on the flip side, I don't know what is so special about their food prep system that they can't disrupt it so I can get a breakfast taco. No. I think that
1: uh, opening up at 11, uh, rather than at, I don't know, 7 or 8, and serving breakfast uh, seems to be an opportunity that uh, they could take advantage
0: of, and I imagine someday will. Because that's the thing. If, if for whatever reason, Stephen Ells decides a year from now, I'm out, I'm not going to be the CEO anymore, if a new CEO comes in, isn't one of the first thing he or she is doing is taking a good, long, hard look at breakfast? Yes.
1: Yes, it's, it's just uh, an open opportunity. And
0: I think that they've got the ingredients
1: there to combine into a breakfast menu of some sort. Um, they're forced to serve breakfast at uh, Dulles Airport.
0: Um, they do, they do not, however, serve what we think of as. They don't serve eggs. They they serve what you're talking about. They serve the the basic. Food. Open. They can
1: serve Rice Krispies.
0: You know, I, <laughs> You think that's a Mexican driver? grilled Rice Krispies. Ch- Chorizo infused Rice Krispies. <laughs> you know what? I think go wild. Someone at Mondelez just got an idea. <laughs> For the next brand of Oreos,
1: no, they they serve more or less their standard menu, don't they? At the yes, and, it is
0: their standard menu, and you
1: eat. can have it for breakfast. Yeah, but there's there's a rule at Dulles that if you open up a, um, yeah, if if you're operating there as a restaurant, that you must serve breakfast because a lot of people need breakfast. And I've I've had the Chipotle for breakfast at Dallas.
0: Nice. Have you? Uh, I have not. No. No. Yeah. I don't fly out of Dallas that much. I'm not a world traveler like you are. Uh, before we wrap up, any uh, you
1: just traveled the world. What are you talking about? <laughs> you, you more recently
0: were traveling internationally than, than me. Yeah, but just I'm saying in aggregate, I'm just not as often. Uh, before we wrap up, any any final thoughts on uh, David Halberstam?
1: So my initial thought of Dave, David Halberstam, and I know uh, how many of his books have you read?
0: Halberstam, um, Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter. Uh, a, Best-selling author, probably best known for the best and the brightest, uh, the book that he wrote about uh, Vietnam. Uh, he's written twenty or so books. I think I've read four or five of them. I've read the Breaks of the Game, where he followed the Portland Trailblazers for a season. I've read the Amateurs, which is a great, great book about uh, rowing. It was my first introduction to rowing, and it and it chronicles four men who are trying to make the U.S. Olympic team in rowing and. Um, my main takeaway from that book was boy if you are if you are someone who has decided that your athletic calling in life is to be a single skull rower that is a brutal and lonely path that you have chosen um, and as you mentioned the 50s which I would recommend the 50s to anyone uh, anyone who is interested in American history, if you want to understand the United States of America, Halperstam's book the 50s is great because there are single chapters in that book that you could basically just pick up and just read that chapter. There is a chapter just about McDonald's, and about the creation of McDonald's with the McDonald's brothers, and then Ray Kroc comes into their life and Ruins them. And then then basically puts them out of business and steals their idea. Um, uh, Also, Kemins Wilson, who's the creator of Holiday Inn. and uh, One of my other favorite chapters in that book is about how Lucille Ball Halberstam makes the case that Lucille Ball pretty much single-handedly saves CBS, just rescues that television network. Well, I remember reading the fifties as uh, about
1: twenty-five years ago now. Uh, I also read October 1964, which is about the uh, Yankees versus Cardinals uh, World Series that year, which actually the Cardinals won, and Halberstam. Writes about a lot of the the culture behind the two teams and and ascribes you know the, the delay in the Yankees uh, finding uh, African American players to the degree that they that uh, the Cardinals had as, as being the, the determining issue for that. Uh, but my first memory of Halberstam was coming across him in uh, Doonesbury, which uh, mocked him, uh, and they had a series where
0: uh, Rick Redfern was being interviewed. By Halberstam, and
1: you don't remember this. I don't story. remember.
0: I, I vividly remember the comic strip Doonesbury and and reading it as a kid. I don't remember this.
1: Yes, well, this was uh, and and Halberstam does not come off particularly well. I, I guess uh, Gary Trudeau had something out. Had read one of the books, and the word which comes to mind, uh, and it may have been used in the uh, strips or not, is turgid uh, to describe <laughs> Halberstam's writing style. And so he, in this strip. Speaks in the way that Dunsbury or or that uh, Trudeau wants to mock his writing style.
0: I'm surprised so, by that because Halberstam's a phenomenal writer. So
1: before I had read him, I had this picture in my mind of his writing style, which was possibly you know was there to get laughs. You know, I mean yeah. that, that that was what Trudeau was up to and succeeded in those strips. But I'll. Uh, Forward them to you if I can find it. It's all in there in the archives, you know, the Dunesbury
0: Archives online. October 1964 is that your favorite Halpertstein book? No, the 50s was a better book. Yeah,
1: yeah, great stuff. I mean, in, uh, the October 64, the Yankees lose the World Series, so
0: it's really not a good book. You kind of knew that going in, though, right? I didn't need to be reminded. <laughs> you didn't need the blow by blow. <laughs> you can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues. You can go to FoolFunds.com and sign up for Declarations. It is the free monthly newsletter. From the Motley Fool Funds team. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fuller. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.